Well, good morning. This morning we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Hebrews 10. Today at 145, if you're interested, we'll be meeting at the courthouse for Life Chain. From, we'll set up from 2 to 3. Um, there's information on the back table if you've never heard of it before or participated in it before. We've done it our, as a family for 25 years now. Um, and so I uh, just want to invite you to join us if you'd like to. Um, that'll be, mm-hmm. That is William Butler, the one we've been promoting for the last, oh, three years that he was going to come and do this event live up at the Mary Lynn Auditorium. Yep. Yep, he did great. Now, if you like the picture in the back and weren't able to be there last night, or you were and you want a copy of it or a print, there, uh, we can still, you can still support the Source Medical Clinic by purchasing a print of this one. It's here for us for one week only until we get it shellacked and sent off to the person who bought it last night. That auctioned for 5000 so that was good. Um, good money for the source. Um, normally they go for ten to 25000 but hey, we got five, so that's good. Um, anyway, if you'd like a print of that, um, I put a little form out in the back. You're welcome to sign your name, and um, they're $100 for a 16 by 20 print. So, and he'll get those as soon as he can to us. He took pictures of them this morning out back here on our property, um, got it in the sunlight, you know, and got some pictures of it, and they really look good, good sharp pictures. And he's on his way home, flying back to New Jersey. So it was a real blessing to have him here. Um, great night, just a fantastic night, unbelievable, once in a lifetime. All right, Hebrews 10. Uh, the writer here continues on. There's actually 10 sections, so we kind of got to get at it. It's kind of a long chapter. Um, but he describes the completion and the perfection of of the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, a lot of times um, throughout this first nine chapters, he's brought bits and pieces of this up, but he's going to go over it again in more detail. And it's actually um, a great explanation of some of his other writings, some of, uh, well, I think it's Paul, so uh, some of Paul's other writings to the, his other epistles. And uh, um, he gives some great, and I'll try to connect those dots for you just a little bit, not too many of them, just two or three, um, but so that you can see that. Um, So anyway, verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remember, there's a reminder, excuse me, of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. He blends a couple things here from Colossians and some other portions of his scripture that he's written, that Paul's written, and he elaborates on those things. These are a shadow of things. Everything in that old system, the Old Testament, was a shadow cast by Jesus Christ himself who was coming. The shadow was to let us know he was on his way and to be looking forward to the actual person. And once he came, the writer here is saying, don't go back to the shadow, stay with the person of Jesus Christ. It's whom it's been pointing to the whole time, and that's who we've been waiting for the whole time. And so he's pointing that out to them. This is good. And besides that, the second portion here, the second thought on this is those sacrifices never really did anything to take away your sin. Because if they did, they'd have been done once. Because that's the point of the sacrifice. He makes it very clear to us that's the point of the sacrifice. The sacrifice that's actually coming, shadow, 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 
Jesus, that's the one that takes away the sins of the world. All the other ones were shadows pointing to the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And he's going to elaborate on that just in case we didn't get that in the first four verses. Hopefully we did. But for those who are struggling, um, the Hebrews that were struggling, letting go of the shadow and embracing the person of Christ, he's going to continue to go over this. Those sacrifices simply reminded you that you had need of a sacrifice. Those shadows were simply to remind you that you were still a continual sinner that needed an eventual permanent sacrifice and to be looking for the Messiah. God doesn't want us looking for the Antichrist. He doesn't want us looking for his kingdom now theology. He doesn't want us looking for anything other than what he told us to look for. Even today as the church, we're to look for Jesus. My eyes are on the sky for Christ to return in the clouds to take his church home with him. I'm not supposed to be scanning the political high, you know, horizon saying, I think that guy's got six letters in his first name, middle name, and last name. I remember when Ronald Reagan was elected. Oh, my goodness. It had six, six, six. It's him, you know. It ain't him. In fact, I voted for him. He's a really great president, probably one of the best we've ever had. But besides that, stop looking at that stuff. Donald Trump, I don't know. Well, the only people that bring that stuff are those that don't like Donald Trump. I think Trump's Antichrist. Well, we thought Obama was the Antichrist. I guess we're all wrong, aren't we? (laughs) Stop looking at that stuff. God has never called the church to look at that. He's always told us to keep your eyes up. Look up for your redemption draws near. When you see these things, the earthquakes and all these things happening and the earth's groaning and heaving, you know, and everything's in turmoil and there's roars and rumors of wars, don't freak out by them. Don't stare at them. Don't find bullets and hoard them underground. What a waste of time because he says, I don't want you to look underground. I don't want you to build a bunker. I want you to look up. Your redemption's drawing near. And so it's always been that way. The shadow's always been pointing to Christ. He's never wanted us to look anywhere else but Jesus Christ. And he's trying to get these guys to get it. Don't look away from him. Look towards him. Look towards him. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, verse 5, Therefore, when he came, Jesus, into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. That's not what you were looking for, Father. That's who he's talking to. You didn't find pleasure in the uh, blood of bulls and goats and the burnt offerings of these innocent animals. That God was never going... Yeah, that's what I like to hear, burning flesh. He's never liked the smell of burning flesh. It's never been his desire. In fact, that's why he sent his son, because he didn't want to smell my burning flesh. God has no desire in that. And Jesus calls him on that. And then I, rem- then I said, behold, I have come, Jesus said. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. You prepared me to be that body. You've put me into the sacrifice that's going to be offered up for you for their sin. The only thing that pleased the Father, the only time it was ever pleasing to God was the cross. That's the only time sacrifice has ever been acceptable to him, ever done anything other than remind. It's the only thing that's ever worked. It's the only thing that takes away the cross, the cross, the cross. That's why we call ourselves Calvary. It's not because, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) Calvary, copyright. Uh, No, Calvary is to remind us of the hill 
where the cross was planted and our Savior was nailed and taken down and put into the tomb and raised from the dead is to remind us that that's the place, that's the point in time that ever mattered. Nothing in the past ever mattered. Nothing in the future ever mattered. It's that point in time where God saw it fit to send his son to die on the cross for the sins of both past and for the future. And it was once for all. And he's going to build on that here. I've come. The volume of the book has written me, of written me. From Genesis to Revelation, the stories of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's not a, an old book and a new book. It's Jesus all the way through. Verse 8. Previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he might establish the second. I can't emphasize that enough. I think we have, but I'm going to do it again. He's taken away the first. The first what? The first covenant. There is no way to get to God anymore other than the second covenant. The first covenant's been put away. It's been annulled. It's been removed. It's not possible anymore. There's no validity in it anymore. You cannot attain uh, heaven and get in the presence of God through the law. It can't be done. Not because we're unable. We are. You can't keep the law perfectly. I'm telling you, he says, it's taken away. That's not even an option on the table anymore. You don't even have a choice. The writer here is trying to say, look, that ship has sailed. It is burnt. I don't know how you want to put it. That bridge has been destroyed. There's no way to get to God that way. No, it's only the new. It's only the second. It's not like first and second and you can choose. It's a replacement. It's completely new, and it's the only way to get to heaven. You can't go there. And you can see his, his... emphatic about that. You guys, you're going back to something that doesn't exist. You're swimming out to a boat that's not there. You're trying to cross a bridge that's down at the bottom of the pit. You're going to fall. You've got to go the other way. You've got to keep moving forward. You can't go backwards. There is no way. There's no retreat. And by that, we've taken away the first and established the second. By that, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, once for all, once for all, once for all. You cannot offer up Christ over and over again. He does not get sacrificed over and over again. Every time they celebrate the Eucharist, they're crucifying Christ again. It's in Vatican II. It's what they say they do. It's what it means. To have the Eucharist is simply to crucify Christ again and again and again because that's the only way you can stay saved, to keep saved, to keep your sins clean, to keep your sins washed. It's not biblical. Are you anti-Catholic? I'm not anti-Catholic. I'm anti-Catholicism. And let me be clear on that. Because it's unbiblical and it keeps people in a constant state of worry and fear of losing their salvation. In fact, at some point, when people don't go the way they want to, they're told to withdraw the Eucharist from them. They're not allowed to take the Eucharist anymore, which means you can no longer have the blood of Christ. Nobody has power to do that to you. Nobody can do that to you. The power and the, of the blood of Jesus Christ was once for all and given to all mankind. You cannot do that to people. It's mean. It's bullying. I'm trying to use all the catch words I can use for today. It's wrong. First of all, and most importantly, it's unscriptural. It's not there. And he makes it very clear. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was ordered once for all. That's it. Verse 11. 
And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from the time uh, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I don't think he could be more clear. You can't reestablish a priesthood. You can't reestablish a sacrificial system where it's got to be done over and over and over again simply for the reminder of sins. That's past. It can't be done. No, he came once for all. He wants them to enjoy the assurance of their salvation. It's not about bashing somebody. It's not, ba- well, you're just bashing. No, they're not letting people, these folks aren't being let and allowed to enjoy a permanent salvation, uh, an assurance of salvation. They're going back to something that constantly reminds them of maybe. Maybe. You'll find out when you die. Maybe. And God's never wanted that. Christ came to give us assurance of salvation over and over again. That's written in the New Testament. I want you to have assurance of salvation. I want you to know, I want it to be so comfortable for you to be in me, in Jesus, to know where you stand, to not wonder where you stand. There's nothing worse than being in a relationship where you don't know where you stand with the other person. They're smiling at me, but I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know how they feel about me. I know how I feel about them, but I'm not sure it's going to be returned. That's a very miserable experience. And Christ has never wanted us to have that with him. I want you to know how I feel about you. I want you to know where you stand. You stand in me. I don't want you to have any doubts at all. And anybody that tries to put doubt, and that's a red flag for me. When I get done talking to somebody and they put doubt in my mind about how Christ feels about me, that's not of God. It's absolutely not of God. He doesn't make any bones about it. You're either with me or you're against me. And if you're with me, you are with me. There's no like, you're not like the water boy on the team. You're on the team. You're with me. I'm the coach. You're on the field. Go, go, go. That's just how it is. You're not, you're not kind of there. Sorry for all you water boys out there. That actually, you're on the team too. I mean, I, I didn't mean to bash you. The managers, the equipment managers and all that. You're all good, but I'm just saying, there's no doubt that I'm playing. There's no doubt that I have his emblem upon me, that his name is stamped across my forehead, that I have a treasure in heaven waiting for me, that I have crowns, that I have an inheritance, that I'm adopted, that I'm really his. William was staying with us and told us so many stories. We just sat there going, I don't think, I don't think our, we ever ate our food hot. It was just constantly cold because we're just like, keep going, man. Telling us these wonderful stories. And one of them, though, unfortunately was a group of kids that had gone through foster care, been adopted, but then turned back over to the system, then adopted, then turned back over to the system until they aged out. Okay, it's one thing to be rejected by your parents or being treated so badly that you had to be taken away from your parents. It's another thing to be adopted into a family that's supposed to be loving and then sent back, rejected a second time, and then to be adopted by a third family and to be rejected by them a third time that messes with someone's head. That's hard to overcome. It can be. Christ can do anything and he can restore. But we're never to have that feeling with Jesus. We've been adopted into the family of God. I'm never going back into foster care. I am never going back into that system again. I am permanently his. 
whether I'm good, bad, or ugly, he loves me with an everlasting love and will never return me. Oh, we got to get that in our heads and our hearts and get that into people's heads and hearts and then also rebuke any system that, call, that makes that happen or allows that to happen in someone's walk. It's just wrong. And it's never, it just so misrepresents Christ. It's not his heart. It's not our Father's heart. So, he's done. It's one sacrifice. It's once for all. And he's sitting. There's no more sacrifices to do. There's no more utensils to clean. There's no more blood to sprinkle. The veil's been ripped from top to bottom, and he's going to get into that. It's done. Verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, after, for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. It's no longer in a box on on stone tablets. You get that, right? The Ten Commandments are no longer in a box or on stone tablets. They're on our hearts, on everybody's hearts. God's written them there. There's no way to escape it. They can take them out of every public park, every institution they want to, because that's the world, and that's what the world's going to do. Plan on it but he can never rip it out of their hearts. It's a new thing. God's done a new thing. You, can't, you cannot erase me. I'm on your heart. And in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's amazing. We have a God who forgets. I'm so thankful for that. I remember and you remember, but God forgets sin. What sin? Now, where there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. In other words, if Christ died for the sins of the world and he's forgotten them. He's forgotten your past sins. He's forgotten your present sins. He's forgotten your future sins. He's forgotten them all. How could you possibly think of offering another sacrifice? For what? It's worked. It worked. It worked. He's quoting there from Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34. Wanted to make that connection. You can read that on your own. Um, but that's the quote. Um, the writer here is saying, don't you remember that Jeremiah prophesied these words to us and it's happened? You're living in the prophecy. How, how else could Jeremiah 31 happen, you guys? You've always studied the Old Testament and looked forward to Jeremiah 31 taking place. You believed it. Now you're walking back away from it. Come back to it. It's a prophecy that's been fulfilled. How many times have the Jews, and that's just what he's getting at, gone and heard a prophecy, it's happened, and then they kill the prophet? Or they don't believe him. Or they ignore him, and then exactly what the prophet said takes place. He's like, look, you could do it again if you wanted to. You could discount what the prophet said. You can ignore it. But he's saying, why? We've been wrong every single time in the past. What makes you think you're going to be right this time? Believe the prophet. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren. And he calls the brethren. Keep that in mind. These are believers. Not just Hebrews, but believers. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest. That's the holy of holies. Remember the two chambers, holy place and the holy of holies. He's talking about going into the place, the holiest, by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A couple references there this writer is making, and I believe um, 
he heard it anyway. The first one is this Jesus, who's entered into the holiest by the blood, his own blood, has a new and living way. This is what, John, this is what Jesus means in John chapter 14, verse 6. Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is the new way. This is the only way. No man can come to the Father because there is no old way anymore. That's why Jesus says what he says in John 14. I am the new way. I'm the way. If you want to get into the holiest, if you want to get into heaven, if you want to be in the presence of the Father, you've got to come through me. My flesh has been the sacrifice, and that sacrifice ripped that veil from top to bottom, and now you can boldly come in there, which he's already described, and we've gone over several times. He's the way, the truth, and life, and it's a living way. It's not a dead way. It's a living way, and it is new. The writer's not saying, of course it's new. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad, well, in my own life, I, it takes me a while sometimes to figure out what I'm doing is wrong. And I'll do it, and it's sad, <laughs> three, four, five times before I figure out, you know, if I do this a sixth time, it's going to end up the same way as the other five times. Maybe I should find some new way to do this, because this isn't working. And then I try the new way, and it works. And that's the idea behind this. It's a new way. The old way wasn't working, was it? You didn't have a sprinkled conscience. You didn't have a clear conscience. You had a constant reminder of sin, didn't you? It was miserable going to temple. It wasn't any fun. It was all about death. It was all about dying. It was all about your sin. It was all about the blood. It was all about the innocent life that was going to be spilled. Every single day I'd go there and it was like that. Mm -mm. It's new. It's living. It's not death. It's not old. He wants us to come in full assurance of faith. He wants me to have that. He wants you to have that. Full assurance. That's hard to convince somebody of, you know. Full assurance of how you feel about him. That's hard. You know, just tell me you love me. Okay, I love you. I thought we kind of understood that. Guys have a hard time with that sometimes. I'm not... Well, I am broad brushing, but it doesn't always apply. But sometimes we just say, well, I said I loved you at the altar. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's been 10 years. Yeah, nothing's changed. I still mean it. That still is like in force, you know? I need to hear it again. I love you. Thank you. And it's like, okay, how good is that one for? How long is it? The idea is, I love you. But the person on the other end who wants to hear that, your wife, she needs to hear that because men, we can be fickle sometimes. You don't, they don't know where they stand sometimes. It's, you're distant. You don't look at me like you used to. You're, you're far away. You're on the other side of the table. We don't eat together. We don't go out anymore. You watch TV, and you're off doing the other thing in the other room. In fact, to the point we're sleeping in separate beds and separate rooms and separate levels of the house, and who knows what happens. I don't know where you're at. So the question is, you're not showing me evidence of that alter statement. I'm not sure how you feel about me because when you said you loved me back then, you used to look into my eyes. You used to hold my hands. You used to walk with me. We used to spend time together. I was important to you. And not that I'm doubting, and I know that you're busy, and I understand that all about you, honey, but I need to hear it at least because I'm not feeling that evidence. This walk in Jesus, this walk in the Holy Spirit is designed just for that purpose. So we don't have to look to the cross only. 
Okay, that the cross, the cross. I hang it around my neck. Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing that. Wear a cross if you want to. But I pray that that's not your only reminder that Jesus loves you because he wants us to walk in his love. He wants us to walk in the Holy Spirit. He wants to have constant fellowship with us, constant attention, constant date nights, date days, date mornings, whenever you have your quiet time, whenever you want to get together with him, constant. He dotes on us as his bride. In fact, I think the only person in that relationship that's ever moved away has been us. It's never him. He never moves away from us. He never distanced himself from us. He never looks the other way, doesn't have time. None of that. That's on us. We're the ones that don't have time for him. We're the things we get distracted by the shiny, the squirrels of life. Squirrel. And we look the wrong way and we're not paying attention to the one who loved us most. Full assurance of our salvation. But you know what? I want to spend my life giving him full assurance. I know he knows my heart. I know he knows my mind. I know this is futile because he knows my prayers before I offer them up. And yet I want to live a life in such a way that he never doubts where I stand with him and how I feel about him and where my heart lies. Who's the most important? What's the most important? It's always Jesus. I want to be more comfortable raising my hands in worship than doing the wave at some coliseum. You know? Let us hold fast, verse 23, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more, so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day meaning when Christ returns. The day's coming. You know how long ago this was written? We're looking for the day. The day is coming. We don't have time to be doing other things because the day is coming. Jesus is coming. Always looked for him to be coming. He gives him two things I want him to do. You guys, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I don't want to be that person that's constantly wavering. I think I love Jesus. Today I'm not so sure. I'm not sure what God's doing in my life. But I, I, and then we come back to him and it's just this constant waffling back and forth. Life is going to be mean to you. It's hard. It's rough. It's difficult. It's designed that way. It's just Satan loves to divide and kill and destroy. That's what he does. And you have maybe had a nice reprieve from that for a long time, and it hasn't been a battle for you. You've enjoyed this peace time where Satan hasn't attacked. But when he does, are you ready? Are you ready to hold fast and just sit there and say, yep, Okay, bam, you know, here come the wind and the waves. Like promised, most of the time, Florida's a beautiful place. (laughs) Most of the time. Not when a hurricane hits, though. And that's when you wonder, why do they live there? Well, because it's beautiful most of the time. It's sunny and warm and, you know, it's, it's amazing. But when a hurricane hits, and yet... Are you prepared for the hurricane then? If you're going to live there, if that's your location, if that's your geographic spot, you best build your house in, with the ability to stand. You know, we're going to put it up on stilts because we're, you know, this usually floods in a hurricane about 10 feet. 
So we're going to make our house 12 feet up on stilts. And they do that. And then the wind and waves are going to come and the trees are going to hit. So we're going to be ready. And it's going to be made of concrete. It's going to be rough and tough. And the windows, yeah, we just keep the plywood in the garage. You know, here it comes. Zip, 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 zip. I guess it's time for a family vacation to the West Coast, you know. And we'll be back. Our walk with Jesus should be no different. You live in a harsh world. I live in a harsh world. I have, we live in a world that's owned and run by Satan at this point. Now, it will be taken from him. Jesus has purchased it, but hasn't picked it up yet. His kingdom is not now. He's not ruling and reigning. The God of this age is the devil. We know that. The Word of God tells us that. And so we're living on his turf in his territory. Of course there's going to be storms. Of course there's going to be difficulties. But have you built your house in such a way that it can withstand? And don't be surprised when your shingles are gone. You know, you put the wrong shingles on. You got to bolt those babies down because here it comes. And there's something about that. There's something about maybe sitting in the middle of that concrete house with the boards on and here come the wind and the waves. You're going, whatever. You should evacuate. I don't think I'm going to. You know, that's why we don't live there. As Midwesterners, we go out on the porch to watch the storms. That's why I don't we live in Florida. We'd be yelling at it, shooting our guns into it. You know, and you know what? I love that about us. And I think most of the, I think the rest of America is like that too. I don't mean to, we're not better. I'm just saying, I love that about that heart. But I don't have confidence in my bullets stopping the tornado. I mean, who was it? Was there a governor that actually said that? I think there was a governor down there that said, please don't shoot into the hurricane. What a great warning to have to give your people. And the guys are going, oh, all right. And they go put their guns back. America. Guys, I want to have that kind of walk with Jesus. I want to board up. I want to be prepared. I want to take heed. I understand that the wind and the waves are coming. I know that it might flood. But I want to build my life able to withstand. Beautiful sunny day most of the time. But when that storm comes, I'm just going to sit there. It's not going to be a problem. We'll unboard afterwards. We'll recover. We'll sweep up the mess that's around us, but we'll stand. That's our walk with Jesus. It's exciting. So he tells him that, you know, do that. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, the second thing he asked him to do is let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In fact, this is the moment where we stir each other to good works. That's what I'm trying to do this morning. I've studied, I've read, I've got excited. Had a fantastic night last night, a night like I've never had before. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. I can say with full assurance to watch that singing and the worship just rise. And I'm just like, man, just blown away. And the art's going on. And I'm watching these people to the right of me because I sat clear to the left. And all these people are just like, just we're stunned. We're in a moment of, we were stunned for an hour and 15 minutes. It was just amazing as the worship rose. I want to stir us up to good works and to love. I can't live your life for you, and you can't live your life. For, you can't live my life for me. You're going to have your own heartaches. You're going to have your own difficulties, and I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll be with you. I'll try to bear your burdens, but I can't bear it. I can't carry it for you. It's designed for you. It's meant for you. God's using it in your life, but I can tell you this. You got this because Christ has you. 
You can do this. We're all going to go through that. Nobody's given more than they can bear. Nobody. The Word of God tells us that. Not so much as I can't bear it anymore. You take it from me. No, no, no. I'll come alongside you, but you have to bear it. You have to be strong. It doesn't do any good to run laps for somebody else. It doesn't get them in shape. It doesn't strengthen them to do push-ups for them. They have to do those. We have to flex our spiritual muscles. And so that's what this is meant for. That's why we come together once in a while, twice a week for some, maybe more times for others. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Be ready. Now he says earlier, we've been sprinkled. I missed this part. Verse 22, sprinkled from an evil conscience. And he's referring to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, when he says, that's the baptism I want you to have, the baptism of a clear conscience, the clean conscience. He's referring to it again here. Our hearts have been sprinkled, baptized from an evil conscience with our bodies, washed with pure water, the word of God. It's not talking about external. Neither is 1 Peter chapter 3, when he says, that's what saves you, baptism, not the removal of flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience before God. This is what he's talking about here. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully, now the sin he's talking about here is apostasy, to reject Christ once you become enlightened and going back to the old, which is no longer there, but they're trying. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there, is no, long, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. You understand what he's saying there? You're going back to a sacrificial system that doesn't take away your sins and you've left the only sacrifice that does. Some people read that and say, if I sin willfully, well, okay, before you go there in your mind, keep it in context. Let the word of God reveal itself and interpret itself here. He's not talking about, so I can only sin that thing once And if I do it again, I'm going to hell because now you know and now you're doing it willfully. That's not what he's talking about. It's apostasy. It's leaving Christ, who is the sacrifice for your sins, past, present, and future, and repetitive. Let me throw that in there for you. And repetitive. That's where the 70 times 7 comes into play. You can forgive someone 70 times 7 because God can. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, therefore no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? You think violating Moses' law was bad? Try violating the cure to Moses' law. Try violating the sacrifice of the Father's, not words, his Son, and you've trampled over it, you've called it a common thing, and you've gone back. You think that's not going to be worthy? That's the biggest sin of all, to insult the Spirit. That's the unpardonable sin. That's the only sin that can't be forgiven, is to insult the Spirit. Because the Spirit 
points us to Jesus Christ. And to reject the Holy Spirit is to reject his message. To reject Christ is to reject the sacrifice for your sins, and therefore you cannot be forgiven because you've removed and taken away the only thing that can forgive, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. How much worse punishment do you suppose? There's degrees of punishment? I just broke Moses' law. I didn't do what he did. He (laughs) insulted the Spirit of grace. Wow. Trying to get something across here to these guys. You think by going back to that, you're more pleasing to God? You think that you've somehow rejected the Moses' law and his covenant and gone to this new thing and how that's offended God by not going back to that? You think going back to that isn't offensive to God? Rejecting the Son of Jesus Christ to go back to that old system? It's worse. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you you endured a great struggle with sufferings. I want you to remember, everybody, how when you first got saved, how on fire you were, how everybody hated you, how your family thought you were crazy, how everybody rejected you. Don't you remember that? Do you remember all the persecutions you received? And then you received persecutions for hanging out with people that were lovers of Jesus also? Do you remember that? I want you to remember that, he says. And then there's a colon there before verse 33. Partially, you, were, uh, you suffered with this. Uh, you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companies of those who were treated. Now, he's talking about himself. Probably Paul. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Who's he talking about? It's got to be Paul. I'm sorry, I don't mean to... (laughs) It's him, right? Remember my chains? Remember how you used to love me? How you had fondness for me? How you used to bring me things? My coat? My scrolls? How you used to stand outside my bars because I couldn't travel and I would send you off and you'd go bring these letters to all the churches? I mean, can't you see that? That's my opinion. That, you can throw that whole little tirade out right there. But whoever it was, whoever it was, that's how they used to feel about him. That's how they used to roll with Jesus. Yeah, bring on the persecution. Bring on the reproaches. You going to Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, I wasn't invited this year. Wow, you really love Jesus, don't you? <laughs> it's amazing, you know. Well, come over to my house. Great. You know, even better sometimes, right? Because you have a new brother and sister in the Lord. You've got new family. You've got new parents. You've got spiritual parents, spiritual family. It's way better, way better. Partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. You're going to take my what? Why well, get Saturn? You know, I keep bringing Saturn up. I don't know why I'm infatuated with Saturn. But we have great inheritance in heaven. We've got great things waiting for us. He's prepared a mansion for us. What that looks like, I don't know. But if this is a tent, and he's made a mansion, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be nice. So if you want to take my tent, I don't care. I got a mansion, you know. <laughs> Therefore, 
Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And yet, a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. He's reminding them. It's a promise. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Stay there, he says. Stay there. Your inheritance is coming. Your Savior is coming. Your assurance of salvation is right. Don't doubt that. Stay in that place. Walk with him. Let them take everything you own on this earth because it doesn't compare to everything that God has for us later. Verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. No. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Come on, you guys, he says. We're not those people. We don't go back to perdition. We don't go back to destruction. We don't go back to that. We persevere. We press on. We believe to the saving of our soul. That's what we do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. So powerful, so encouraging. You so want us to have such a great relationship with you with assurance of salvation, with assurance of how you feel about us, and we do. Today's chapter brought us leaps and bounds closer to you, God. We drew near to you this morning. We weren't sure what you had in store for us by your spirit or by your word even, maybe. But we knew you had something for us, and so we, by faith, came here and drew near to you as a congregation, as a fellowship, and we've been encouraged. We've we've drawn near, and you have drawn near, and we thank you for that, God. And we are spurred on to good works. We are spurred on to what you have us to do. And Lord, help us to just keep that, keep that on the forefront of our minds that we wouldn't doubt, wouldn't think about going back from where you've delivered us from, but to press on with you to the saving of our souls, God. We're not those people. We're not those that go back to perdition. We're with you. So Lord, starting even today, Lord, we want to live for you. We want to set our lives aside, our comfort aside, to live for you, God, to stand up for righteousness, to be light in this world, to be salt in this world, regardless of the consequences that this world's going to offer us, and they will offer it to us. They will come against us. They are the wind and the waves. They will try to beat us down. But God, we stand upon you, the rock, and we thank you for that. You are our strength. You are our fortress. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.